Hey everyone, welcome to episode 102 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. 102! (laughs) Uh, And we have a guest this week, uh, Stu Wassana, uh, coming from uh, Canberra, I think his Skype said. How are you, Stu? I'm good. Yes, Canberra is correct. (laughs) And uh, tell us a bit about yourself. I believe you were involved with the guys at uh, Vooks.net, which is an Australian Nintendo fan site. Yeah, so quite a few years doing reviews and news with them, running community. Mm-hmm. So yeah, big Nintendo nerd. Uh, and you uh, you ran your own site for a little while as well? Yeah, gave that a shot as well. Cool, so being a big Nintendo nerd, you'll uh, fit in right along with us too. Uh, so uh, let's uh, jump into updates from previous episodes. Okay, we were meant to fit these in in the last week. Uh, catch-up episode but uh, we sort of ran out of time so Andrew you wanted to talk briefly about the Trine Ultimate collection yeah I, that was another games that I played over our hiatus and I'm just going to go through them as fast as I can so we can talk <laughs> about Tokyo Mirage Sessions we actually talked about these games very briefly back in one of our November episodes but uh, the Trine series is based pretty heavily on the Lost Vikings so it, it's a puzzle platformer series where a team of three characters who are all controlled by one player try to get from one end of the level to the other using their different powers and they each have different skills that let them do things that none of the other two characters can do. There are four games in the series currently and the first two are actually based on the same engine so they're very similar. (laughs) Actually when I I played both of them they, they felt almost like the same game and that's because they basically are. It's more of a level pack for trying to versus mm-hmm. trying one so that got a little grating after a while because it just felt like playing one super long game <laughs> but <laughs> i still enjoyed both of them uh they're very heavy on the box puzzles one of the characters is a wizard who can summon boxes and then the other two characters are more focused on platforming and combat so most of the platforming puzzles i actually felt like i was solving with the wizard doing these different physics puzzles trying to get from one end of the level to the other and then then we get to Trine 3. This game was unfinished, and you could really tell. You get to the, air quotes, end of the game, and there's this artifact you're supposed to be putting together that's been broken into four pieces. It even flat out tells you, you just got the first piece. There are however many more to go. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was pretty bizarre. Uh, I guess they wanted to do more with this game, but they couldn't, and they just released what they had and just called it Trine 3. They tried to take it more into three dimensions. Trine 1 and 2 are side-scrollers all the way, but this one lets you move forward and backward within a fixed screen as well as just from left to right. And that limited the skills. Uh, this game felt far more constrained compared to the first two. Uh, so then that leads straight into Trine 4, which is the most recent one, and this one's moves back to just side-scrolling. And of the four, I definitely enjoyed this one the most. It felt like it had the most polish, and it gives... A lot more synergy between the different character skills like the thief can now attach her ropes to the wizard's boxes so that way they interact a lot more and they actually limited the number of boxes the wizard can create this time so you can't just brute force your way through every puzzle using him anymore you have to really think about the solutions to these puzzles versus just making a stack of boxes climbing on top of them and then jumping over the cliff which was the solution to many 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 of the puzzles in the first two games uh i think the ultimate collection is definitely worth it it's got three good games in it and then it's got trying three which is disappointing but it it was (laughs) still interesting to play it just to see this thing that they put out that is the most blatantly unfinished game i've ever seen and they're still selling it for full price (laughs) so it's an interesting part of this collection uh, but if you want to just jump into Trine 4 too, there's nothing stopping you, and it's definitely the best game of the four, and I recommend at least Trine 1 and 2 and 4. So there's no story crossover across the four, just completely separate? There is, as far as the relationship between the characters and what the Trine object is, because that's how they work as as a group like because how you switch between characters is you press the shoulder buttons and it actually changes the character on the screen and that's not just a gameplay conceit that's actually what's happening because they've this artifact called the trine has turned all three of these characters into not one person but like one spirit i guess and they only act individually despite being a group 
I hope that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but as far as the individual stories, each game tells its own thing. Okay, cool. Um, and just anecdotally, from what I'd seen on on socials, the uh, they're of the same opinion as you that that three was sort of a bad game and four's a return to form. Mm-hmm. Um, just seen people tweeting about it this week. So yeah, uh, Stu played any of these ones? Um, I mean, I own them. <laughs> on uh, not on Switch though, I, tr- I played a little bit. I, I think it's also co-op, isn't it? It does have co-op, but I didn't interact with that part of the game at all. Uh, but how co-op works is there's just other people in the game with you. They can switch between their three characters just like you can. Uh, <laughs> I, get, I just imagine the game just devolving into utter chaos, and you know, with two wizards running around, the boxes having a bunch of boxes at your disposal already trivializes a lot of the puzzles. I can only imagine doubling the number available to you makes it even more so. <laughs> uh, so not an attractive game for a multiplayer as, as far as I'm concerned, but it's there if you want okay. to do it. I think that was one of the things putting me off, actually. <laughs> is that I thought it was more of a co-op experience, so that's that's interesting. No, very much a single player game, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, we should we should point out just in case. Yeah, you know, you're not a big listener of the show. Both me and Andrew tend to hate multiplayer. Oh, okay. With, with exceptions, yeah, not our jam. It, it's so. got to be a game <laughs> built around multiplayer, and then that concept also has to appeal to me. But like a game like Trine, which is Lost Vikings with multiplayer slapped on it, I'm never going to play that multiplayer mode. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. I'm about the same, really. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, moving on, you also played through uh, Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. Uh, now, I picked up the original Shovel Knight on uh, Switch in the early window of the uh, Switch's launch. Um, so what's this one about, Andrew? Well, if you picked it up early on, then then you have all these games too, Andy. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Because nice. the Treasure Trove was one of the first games on the eShop. It was actually the first game I ever played on my Switch because Amazon completely bungled my Breath of the Wild order and didn't deliver it until the next day. So I spent mm-hmm. Switch launch day playing Shovel Knight, which is great because uh, Shovel Knight's actually a great game. And there's the Treasure Trove out now, which sold for $25 at launch. That's probably what Andy bought. It's what I bought. And if you get that Treasure mm-hmm. Trove, you get all of these Shovel Knight games in it. You get Shovel of Hope, which was the original campaign, starring the Shovel Knight, and then there's Plague of Shadows, which stars Plague Knight, Spectre of Torment, with Spectre Knight, uh, King of Cards, uh, yes, uh, starring King Knight, and then there's <laughs> Showdown, which is a multiplayer thing, and all I'm going to say about Showdown is it's bad, so uh, just ignore it. <laughs> but again, what we just said about multiplayer there. So <laughs> but uh, all four of the Shovel Knight core campaigns are just rock solid 2d platformers like our editor craig last year slash two episodes ago uh gave king of cards his game of the year award so uh, that should tell you how good they are obviously not my game of the year but i totally get where he's coming from as far as you know like retro platformers this is it i mean this these are the games you want to be playing this is one of the most phenomenal kickstarter success stories ever they've done really well for themselves they're to the point now with this series has done so well that they are now uh turning their studio yacht club games into an independent publisher the games themselves uh shovel knight is basically ducktales meets Mega Man, sort of that's the easiest mm-hmm. way to describe it and then the plague of yeah, go and then the other three campaigns after that actually star three of the villains that shovel knights fights but they have their own completely different game mechanics and plague of shadows has just a remix of the shovel knight world which is kind of disappointing but they hadn't really found their ambition yet with these expansion packs because these were just kickstarter stretch goals to begin with but specter of torment and king of cards are entirely new games and all four of them are worth it the treasure trove has gone up in price now just to match the value of the work that was actually put into these games it's not 25 dollars anymore it's 40 dollars now so probably 50 dollars in australia but i recommend all of them they're all great uh if you're into retro platformers 2d platformers you can't go wrong with any of these yeah yeah i played through the shovel of hope campaign and then sort of went to bail because i just thought the other stuff was like remixes like you said and i remember you yelling at me at the time mm-hmm. in one of the early shows <laughs> to go back and 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 play the others I, I should go back and do those well like plague of shadows is just shovel knight's campaign over again but 
Plague Knight himself is a much more interesting character to play as than Shovel Knight. Like, I'm, I'm kind of... People look down on me for saying this, but I actually don't like the Shovel Knight campaign that much. He's basically just <laughs> Uncle Scrooge, basically. That's exactly what he is, up to and including, you know, Pogo jumping on his shovel, and his attack range is about the same to Uncle Scrooge's cane. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like... I played this before. This is DuckTales, but Plague Knight has an entirely different moveset. He jumps completely differently. It's a much more interesting game to play through with him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Stu, played any Shovel Knight? Yeah, uh, I actually really like what Shovel Knight does in terms of difficulty and that it uses death as a learning experience. And that really kind of changed my outlook on games that I've played since then. Uh, Yeah, so Shovel of Hope, or it was just Shovel Knight when I played it. I thought it was really fascinating having a game that was really hard, but incentivized you to keep trying. Yeah, it's got that uh, whole mechanic where you lose your the currency that you've built up along the way and you can go back and get it, or you can uh, give yourself an extra challenge by destroying the checkpoint, which I kept doing by accident yeah, <laughs> on my first run through. But yeah, I, I really like Shovel Knight. I think it definitely deserves a lot of the... It's almost like a face for indie games at this point, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, probably a controversial statement because indie games are so broad. But when when you talk about indie games, Shovel Knight is usually in the forefront, and I think it's, it makes sense. And it kind of shows from how well like Nintendo have embraced it as well. You know, they've given them a, an amiibo. It was the first indie game to be represented in in Smash and all that sort of thing. Yeah, calling yeah. Shovel Knight indie at this point is kind of a stretch. But uh, <laughs> there are it's defi- indie in the same way that Valve is indie. Yeah, like um. <laughs> There's definitely different kinds of indie, like Shovel Knight is made by Yacht Club Games, they are an independent studio, but they're big now. It's like, it's indie in much the same way that uh, No Man's Sky is indie, (laughs) Uh, but like, the real indie games out there are things that like people make in like Flash or whatever and put on their website, that's an independent game, but that's not Mm -hmm. to discount, you know, the kind of indie games that you do see on the Switch, which have a little more money behind them, and they're doing something a little more off the beaten path than the AAA studios who they have to make very safe games because they're making really expensive games and if their game fails it could close down the studio which is hundreds if not thousands of people's jobs so they're, they're kind of trapped in that but there are different mm. different different scales of independent and Shovel Knight is probably as close to AAA as you can get without being AAA and of course they were they were really you know, experienced devs from a, a larger studio who broke off to do their own. Yeah, thing. they broke off from Way Forward, um, which was basically the same story back in the two thousands. Um, and that their story is covered in uh, Jason Schreier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. So uh, I definitely re- recommend checking that out if you've got any history and how the game came about and how it was made and the the the, the, the design decisions that they made along the way. That's it's a fascinating insight. Required reading. It's such a good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so with that, uh, we've got no Switch news this week, so we're just going to get right on to the uh, Temple release from last because week. Because there was no Direct! Oh. Yeah, still, what the hell is going on with that? They're letting all the online storefronts leak all their games instead of announcing themselves. Bad move. Yeah, I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut on some of them, <laughs> just in case a lot of those turn out to be fake but we'll we'll see i'm I'm really hoping there's a direct this week because it's getting to that point where we we have no idea what's coming for the rest of the year from nintendo how can i pre-order games if you won't announce them nintendo take my money february's really quiet (laughs) um but yeah so with that we're gonna get on and talk about tokyo mirage sessions Okay, I'm not even gonna try and attempt its full name there, Andrew. You're you're across this, and I've I've seen that you're adamant. It's not a hashtag. It's not a hashtag. Tokyo Mirage <laughs> Sessions. Sharp fe encore. It's not difficult. <laughs> it's hard to type, but that's only because Windows has made their keys so awful. But anyway, uh, that and it's got a, a very square Enix naming convention. Uh, but that's beside the point. We've buy. gone over this. Before, uh, so. so yeah. <laughs> Dragon yeah. Quest Eleven S: so Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. <laughs> okay, so what is Tokyo Mirage Sessions? Um, so, bit of background: I bought this on Wii U, but I never actually got around to playing it, um, and I had avoided all trailers, all news, all reviews on it. So, I had I going into the Switch version, I had no idea what it was about. A friend on Twitter, when I I mentioned that, uh, described 
this game as Persona with idols instead of regular kids and Fire Emblem instead of Jungian archetypes and existential horror. Union. <laughs> uh, and Union, okay. I sort of see where, where they're uh, coming from there. That was, uh, sorry, Lachlan Williams. It is very Persona-ish, this game. Uh, have you had any experience with the Persona series, Andrew? I played about an hour and a half of Persona 4 Golden on my Vita. And mm-hmm. not to say that I didn't like it, but I just wasn't into my Vita. <laughs> I bought a Vita used, not not to derail the conversation, but I bought a Vita used pretty much so I could play all those games that I'd been getting for crossplay. And then I just, I never got around to actually playing it that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, so just to put this out there, Persona 4 Golden is probably my favorite JRPG of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it that much. I'll play it someday. Uh, Stu, I know you finished this on Switch. Did you play it on the original yeah, U version? Yeah, uh, I finished it there too. So, second playthrough. Ah, nice. Wait, you finished it uh, already? Yeah. Dang. You good. I really <laughs> like the battle in this game. I do too. We're going to have a lot of fun when we get yeah. to that part. <laughs> um, And I'm sort of still under the first 10 hours. I'm closing in on that first uh, chapter one boss, I think, so... Uh, yeah, I know Andrew will be like probably over the halfway point by this by this stage. I'm about thirty hours at the beginning of chapter four, which is just about halfway through the game. Yeah, cool. Okay, so uh, the game itself, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, takes place in Japan, where uh, the, there's the whole idol culture thing, and it's uh, extremely celebrated. Uh, and in this game, they get special powers, which aren't personas, honest. Um, they totally are. That happen to be Fire Emblem characters, and this is where the whole uh, crossover thing comes in. Kind of, because, like, I don't maybe this changes later in the game, but I, I'm pretty far in the game now, and like I said, when this game was announced in a direct last year, the Fire Emblem elements of this game are really superficial. <laughs> These The Mirages yeah. or the Personas, whatever you want to call them, they could be any other character. It wouldn't matter. Uh, the, about the most fire emblem it's got is the uh, noise it makes when you level up. Actually, the... Um, and the weapon triangle. The weapons, yeah. yeah. The physical weapon attacks. So, with that, uh, things happen in the story. Uh, the, one of the main characters... Uh, <laughs> so, things uh, happen. Susaba. <laughs> um, there, uh, there's a reason why I'm being a bit blasé about this. I'll get onto that shortly. Uh, one of the main characters, Susaba... Uh, Subasa. Her sister gets... Subasa, sorry, see, uh, gets kidnapped uh, prior to the the start of the game, and she's trying out to be an idol so she can uh, get some leads on how to rescue her sister from whatever happens. That turns out to be more supernatural. You get into the same sort of otherworldly things that happen in Persona, so you you'll jump into these other worlds where there are dungeons. Uh, the the dungeon crawling stuff itself is is exactly Persona. Mm. Didn't um, I read same that Persona 4 has procedurally generated dungeons, though? Yeah, so, some of them yeah. do, to a, to a degree. Because mm-hmm. these are all pre-built. Yeah, I, I had that feeling. Um, the, but the, like, the way you navigate, the way you interact with the, the enemies that appear, um, like just straight up Persona, like uh, mm. in Persona 5, you could, you know, you still got the same thing where you can, you can hit an enemy to... Uh, to gain an advantage in the in the combat, um, you can hit an enemy in the overworld to stun them and then get yeah, a first strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, sorry, that's that's what it, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Uh, although in Persona Five, you can like straight up stealth kill them uh, for a big advantage. Mm. So yeah, so at the moment it's pretty much the closest thing you've got to uh, Persona on on the Switch. Uh, if you're not counting Caligula Effect, which I am absolutely not because I did not like that game at all. And yeah, so you you, you go through these dungeons, there are uh, Persona-style uh, themes about uh, you know characters struggling with, with parts of themselves. Um, now here is where I, I'm not enjoying it so far, uh, and I hope it, it improves, but I think it's... Um, it's a little on the nose compared to Persona <laughs> uh, as a series. Persona is, um, <laughs> how do I put it? It's got a very, very mature outlook for a, for a JRPG, uh, and there's like the characters have like multiple levels over the course of the the game. They'll 
they'll learn, they'll mature, you'll help them through things. Uh, and I just don't get the the vibe that that's going to happen here. Maybe you two can uh, clear that up one way or the other since one of you's finished it and the other's over halfway. It's just a... Uh, it's just it doesn't fit the story doesn't feel in the same class for me as the persona games i've played i should probably you know step back from comparing it so heavily because it's not a persona game uh although you know (laughs) effectively it is it's a spin-off um yeah that's it we'll start with you andrew how are you finding the story or are you even finding the story well part of the problem is well People who listen to the podcast know my feelings about anime tropes so far. and <laughs> uh, So I, I'm definitely looking at this game from you know a Western US-based viewpoint, which probably isn't doing it any favors. I, I didn't grow up immersed in this culture, so mostly I'm just looking at everything on here either disinterested or confused slash deeply concerned about the things I'm seeing. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's hard to criticize the game too much for it because this is very much representative of, of the thing it, that it's trying to show. Like, they didn't even... When they localized this, they didn't even translate it into English because it's got subtitles, obviously. But you, you couldn't do this game in English. It couldn't be done because this, this is a Japanese game about Japanese pop culture. So if you go into it prepared for that, then I think a lot of the themes and a lot of the things that happen uh, probably won't bother you too much. But me, like, I look at Tsubasa's journey as a pop idol, uh, and I, I just I kind of want her to escape from it. And there's characters <laughs> like Barry that I'm, I, I've just taken to calling Barry Captain Red Flag. Uh, you haven't gotten there yet, Andy, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh my God, Barry! <laughs> is he the uh, beady guy? Yeah, he's a middle-aged American guy who moved to Japan pretty much so he can obsess over twelve-year-old girls. Pretty much is, is yeah, specifically one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a compelling story. Uh, it, it does the thing where your player character is Itsuki. Like the, the game is told from his viewpoint, but Itsuki is not the main character. Subasa is the main character because she is the mm-hmm. one who is actually changing in as much as a character in this game changes over the course of it. Like she's the one who's learning new things and who is evolving to fit into this industry. And like each dungeon is basically about Subasa learning some new skill. Uh, yeah. Not only that, like just, even in the earliest parts of the story, it's she's the one with the highest stakes. Mm-hmm. Your character's just sort of along for the ride on the virtue that he's her friend. So why not? <laughs> it's, a key, it's actually kind of hilarious. Like at one point, they ask him, "What do you want to do?" And he says, eh, "I'm not really interested in anything." So they say, <laughs> "Okay, we'll have you work with everybody, and you'll do everything." And he basically goes into management. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I don't think they. It doesn't feel like a deliberate joke, but it is a really good joke about the peter principle and managers you know Mm. people rising to the level of their competence (laughs) and he's not good at anything so they made him a manager (laughs) but anyway uh i just this is a persona like game so there is a lot of talking in between the dungeon sections and i kind of just sit through them uh I, i pay attention as to the best of my ability because these aren't unappealing characters but there's just not a lot of stakes in this story and there's not a lot really happening a lot of the time like there's always some place that's being invaded and you've got to go into the idolosphere for that place and fight off the mirages but like as far as what that actually means about what's going to happen to Shibuya and what's going to happen to Japan if that doesn't get stopped the game never explains so <laughs> I, I don't really feel a sense of stakes in this. So a lot of the times I'm browsing Twitter on my phone or I'm watching Netflix on my PC while it's going through all this dialogue stuff because the dungeons and the combat is really good and I love them. Uh, but before we get to that, Stu, what, what do you, how do you feel about the story? You don't go into this game for the story. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is unfortunate because there's so much talking but yeah yeah it's just it's superficial and that's really its biggest flaw is just the fact that it brings up a lot of heavy topics without really saying much about them just presenting them as is and then going yep next topic that's the thing that exists Shrug. yep this also exists and it just yeah <laughs> Uh, the characters are endearing, but most of them. Some of them are problematic. Barry. Barry. <laughs> but um, superficial is just the, the, the word I keep coming back to with this. It's the, I think it was a John Carmack that said that story in a video game is like story in porn. Like It doesn't need to be there, but you just expect it yeah. to be. It's, it's kind of the same here. Which I disagree with him wholly on both points, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's true in this case, I think. The story is just there to kind of move it along. It's not super deep like a typical Persona game. There's no deeper theme to it. It's just enough to keep it going. Yeah, and as some someone who yeah. put 160 hours into Persona 5, like I'm I'm and and like I I have that sad distinction of like coming away from both 4 and 5 feeling like those characters were my friends uh and no, I just want to crawl into a hole and die. At this early stage, I'm, I'm just having alarm bells about I don't think this story is going to do it for me. Um, and after the first no. first two hours, I, I just went into the options, made the text go to immediately display, and I'm just button pressing and catching keywords as I go through. So that, that's not a good sign. At least it highlights the keywords. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a fast forward button too. Yeah. Which I, I haven't gotten there yet because I, I do like... People wrote this... You know, people. There's a, there was a lot of actual translated text in this game, so I don't want to just skip through that because I, I think that's kind of disrespecting people who worked really hard on the story, shallow as it is. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I I don't just fast forward through everything, but there's not really much here to get immersed in. Yeah. Now, uh, so we'll. we'll talk about the combat itself so we, we we brushed on like the the dungeon setup uh you you work through floor by floor you get to like key areas where you can then you know escape for a while and know you've got your shortcut back to where you were uh, in the dungeon you'll you'll have enemies that spawn and they'll they'll charge at you you can hit them to to stun them if you just want to to breeze past uh, or get like the first attack in the uh, combat itself uh, then you get into this brilliant turn-based jrpg combat uh, which is just it, it's it's basically Persona's combat, um, right down to its weaknesses. And uh, you touched on it before. It's got like the fire emblem weapon wheel for the the physical attack weapons, which is is a neat system. And what happens is every enemy will have you know a set of weaknesses, a set of resistances, and some stuff. There's the text that they're not really too fussed about. Uh, if you if one of your characters uh, uses a skill that is one of their weaknesses. And your other characters have have the ability; they'll jump into what is called a session attack, which is just the other characters will automatically help wail on the, the enemy that you've selected. Like very early on, you'll get you'll get a skill that uh, allows that session attack to then chain onto other enemies if if you've uh, beaten them already. Uh, this I found like just to be utterly enjoyable and, and really stylish uh, it riffs a little on the on personas thing where uh if you hit a, a weakness some sometimes one of your colleagues will attack and this just takes that and ramps it up to 11 um two two thun, 200 <laughs> <laughs> it's so over the top when you get to where i'm at andy oh my gosh <laughs> uh and this is this is the big draw here so um now, the the other thing I want to mention is uh, in a lot of JRPGs, I sort of fall into that habit of just brute forcing all the uh, the non boss enemies, uh, and that's that's not always uh, something you can do here unless unless you're willing to put the time in elsewhere to like really like level up. So like your your buffs here are, are more important, I found than a, in a lot of JRPGs. May probably more so for me because I am the sort if uh, if it gives me the option, I will just you know sit there and grind for a couple of hours where uh, Andrew you tend to just sort of attack anything that comes at you and that's it so you you probably find yourself in other games more in that sort of mindset where you need to think about your buffs and all and all that sort of stuff whereas I just brute force my way through well I'm playing on hard and the only 
times I've really needed to use buffs to clear fights has been against bosses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Every, yeah. Everything else I just session attack through, and now and then there'll be a fight I lose if I get a bad roll on enemies, but I've not felt it necessary to either grind or use buffs except on boss fights as of yet. Then, uh, like, I've, I've just got to the point where they've started throwing in uh, the special performance, um, which is basically... Like an EX meter thing that builds up in in the right, and then you can spend that meter on like devastating attacks that that uses all the characters. I only used one; just used it on a boss or the mid boss at least just now. How does that expand as as you move further into the game? A, a lot of them are locked behind uh, like side stories for a lot of the characters. Not all of them are attack based because a lot of them will be. It's kind of like an automatic session, independent on if it's a weakness or not but okay. some of them will be like uh, a total all, all buff like uh oh, i can't remember i think Torma has one where he buffs everybody and then there's one where mamori can heal everybody and then gets another attack and <laughs> that, that ability is so broken <laughs> it is I, I use it a lot <laughs> but yeah then you got the adlib performances as well which will just randomly trigger i love the adlib performances so much <laughs> Some of them are just really silly, like Subhas's, um soda advert. <laughs> yep, that's my favorite one. And Midway, I think at the end of chapter two, Andy, you help Subasa work up the confidence to appear in this soda commercial. And from that point on, whenever you're using Subasa as one of your frontline characters in a battle, randomly when you tell her to do something, instead a soda commercial will play, <laughs> and it just floods the enemy with this rush of... I assume is soda and deals massive damage to all of them. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> okay, that that sounds amazing. They're all themed on like events that actually happen in the game, like the cutscenes and different side stories. It's it's silly, but I kind of that's what makes it enjoyable. I reckon. I like the sound of that. Uh, that that's similar to uh, a Persona mechanic where uh, if your two of your characters have a decent support level, they'll just randomly team up at times uh in persona 4 uh those two of them they had the twin dragons attack where it just it just came yeah. randomly yeah um, um can i ask a question about persona real quick yeah sure um does it limit you in in the social links that you're allowed to make like can you only make a certain number with certain characters every playthrough uh or can you do all of them if you're willing to do the work for it uh no there are there are some no. that you'll have to do a second playthrough uh, to finish off. You so you sort of have to pick what is most important to you. That that was why I bounced off Fire Emblem the first time was because it didn't let me do all the support conversations, mm-hmm. so I just didn't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the support characters because I haven't unlocked any of those yet. Or oh, like the side stories, just the, where you can you can pull in a support character in the middle of combat. Oh yeah, you actually unlock them through um, the new dungeon. Yeah, that's that's new in the Encore version. They just, if if you do some of the, the EX dungeons, which mm-hmm. is like brand new for this version of the game, uh, then you can unlock session attacks for Maiko and Barry, yeah. Uh, which actually makes the game even more broken. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. like, you're adding more session attacks earlier than you would have in, in the Wii U version of the game. So it can get a little ridiculous. Tiki's is really broken because it triggers from just magic. It's not a specific, like, fire or thunder. Mm-hmm. It's just any magic attack, she'll jump in. Yep, and Maiko's triggers off of any physical attack. So <laughs> yeah. pretty much in every session attack, you will see Tiki and Maiko. I haven't gotten berries yet, but I'm sure his is similar. <laughs> um, so the the dungeon stuff, that is the uh, thing that's accessible at the base. The, a, a door appeared, like a side door in the uh, little serene area. Yeah, Mr. Grinder, that's where you want to be going, Captain yeah. Grindy. That was like the DLC dungeons in the Wii U version. Ah, uh, okay. Which are just there now. I, I did a quick round of the uh, the training dungeon and, and sort of bailed as soon as I, f- I felt the enemies were getting a bit squishy because they sort of level up after you beat a certain amount. Well, one mm-hmm. tip that I noticed about that dungeon, if you ever want to do some like heavy grinding really quickly, when you do a session attack... Each session has a chance to drop another tome, and a tome is half a bar of XP. Ooh, so okay. when you, when you get up to like yeah. doing twelve long sessions, yeah, you you get a lot of those tomes very quickly. <laughs> so 
which also breaks the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you first unlock that EX dungeon, there's actually a disclaimer right there on the screen. Is mm. playing the EX dungeon too much may make the main game too easy. <laughs> okay, well, that guess where I'm spending my time this week. <laughs> <laughs> if you get stuck, Coward. it's a really good way of just like quickly getting everyone up to the same level or something. That's what I used it for, mostly. Yeah, or, or capping off their weapon inheritance, which we haven't talked about yet. We, we should oh, talk yeah. about that. But uh, the Mastery Dungeon is great for finishing off anybody's weapons that you hadn't done in your last run through the dungeon when you're about to wrap up a chapter. And um, Just be- before we move on, though, I just wanted to uh, just point out that uh, although your characters can do session attacks, enemies can do it as well if they hit your, your oh, character's yeah. specific weaknesses. That hurts. And um, you will die. <laughs> I, I've come a cropper of that once or twice. So. <laughs> One more thing that I didn't see in the notes here is uh, the duo arts. I don't know if any of you have unlocked any of them yet. No, I have not. The quests have been too high for me to do them, but I'm aware that they exist. <laughs> it, they're kind of like the special performances where they kind of randomly trigger, where two characters will kind of do a, an act together and it can extend sessions. So mm-hmm. if you get 12, 12 turns in a session and then a, um, a duo art triggers, you do the duo art and that can actually trigger a whole new session attack and do another 12 <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> And there's a chance for it to trigger again within that second one. So you can get combos of like 20 to 30 if you're lucky. I love oh, this nice. game. Yeah. <laughs> I love broken RPGs. I don't, it's, I just, I love them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk about how you uh, sort of upgrade your characters a bit and the, the stuff they carry. Uh, so each uh, character has a, a weapon, uh, which you should master before you start creating them new ones uh so what happens it's it's i guess each weapon kind of has its own xp bar and when you complete all the skills on that um that's a good time to then go back to your base to do a thing called uh, carnage unity to craft a new weapon uh and then you, you start learning new skills from that one until you've mastered it uh and then that that sort of pattern goes on uh you to do the uh, carnage unity you have to kind of collect things from combat while in the dungeons would you say that that's an accurate description yeah uh, sometimes you find the performer sometimes you get it from enemies yeah you collect performa you're more likely to get it when you're doing session attacks like if, if you haven't gotten the point by now this game's all about the session attacks in the so, <laughs> like, like literally i'm to the point now where if i can't trigger a session attack then i'll either defend or buff because <laughs> there's almost no point to just doing just a single attack yeah the annoying thing here is that once once you've mastered a weapon uh which makes it you know there's not much point in using it you may as well switch it over to something new so you can be learning new skills you have to sort of exit the dungeon and go back to the uh the base which is the bloom palace uh to talk to tiki to to then upgrade a new new weapon um this seems to happen pretty frequently so it just it just uh, even in the first dungeon, I'm like, really? I'm, I, I have to go back and get another weapon. It like, changes a little bit uh, when the stuff that you need gets a little bit harder to get. So Yeah, there, there are ways around yeah. it, but it's not perfect. I usually tried to get like a couple of weapons at once for each character so I could swap in the dungeon. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the other thing as well is that later in the game, it will actually let you re-roll the same weapons that you already had. So instead of like running out of weapons to, to form, so you're just stuck with one that you've mastered, you can go back and get another one that's like slightly more powerful mm. and you get all of those skills again and they power up those skills. Mm. Yeah, when you when you learn multiples of the same skill, it actually powers up that one. skill. So yeah. like, I'm sure if you do some grinding, you can get your skills like ridiculously <laughs> powered up. Yeah, I've hit a few plus ones already so yep and the characters also learn skills as they level up uh they just you just sort of get them just through mm. the process of completing the bar well th- this is actually one of the things i'm more critical of in this game is they don't actually get skills they as they level up 
actually that's not even true they have two things level up on they have a standard like character level and then they have a stage presence that levels up the more that they are used in combat or the more they're used in session attacks and it's when their stage presence goes up they develop new performa that like literally appears from their bodies (laughs) and gets added to the inventory and then once you have that performa you have to take it back to the bloom palace and develop it into a skill they can actually use and it's like couldn't they just learn these skills as they level up like you know in every other rpg instead of this system they've built so that way they can use a lot of proper nouns in this game to make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh, i'm not real wild about how this system works it's it's just something I, i put up with it's kind of tedious kind of annoying but it also creates a lot more opportunities to fight more enemies so (laughs) i i say i don't grind but quite frankly i do grind a lot because i do spend a lot of time running back and forth places being very thorough that's how i do my grinding Mm -hmm. versus andy who will literally run in circles Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh tokyo mara sessions is definitely built for that kind of grinding the kind that i prefer to do Mm um and those those sort of skills that you level up that's uh, the radiant unity right yeah yeah. yeah. So you, I noticed like early on there was like an item for uh, a skill called Trapor, which takes you instantly back to the uh, boss building. You don't have uh, Traport yet? My gosh. No, no, okay. I've got. No, I'm, I'm getting there. You and then very quickly you can learn the spell, so you don't have to use it as a consumer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me finish. <laughs> no. So yeah. So in terms of the combat, there there is a, a lot to like all around uh, and uh, that's the thing that's going to keep me coming through and it's it's going to give me that it's going to scratch that persona itch until we get a proper persona game on the switch that's not a muso for some reason <laughs> yeah. persona 5 2020 make it happen please, please um so new in this version the ex dungeons so there's the area of aspiration where you get new costumes new story sequences uh, with the characters and new support class session attacks uh, there's the training area, which I've been in for a bit to get the, the tomes. Uh, a mastery area, which helps you speed up your weapon inheritance, which is uh, super cool. Uh, these these are all just pretty much fast tracks, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just um, so speed up your game time. Those three, the uh, training, mastery, and prisoner areas, they were in the Wii U version if you got the Fortissimo edition. Okay. It's like a DLC. Yep. And I think you could pay for the DLC as well. I can't remember. I think that was only ever released in Japan, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. That's what the stuff I read about in far as what was new in the Encore version was it made it sound like everything that was in the Encore version was in the Wii U version, but only in Japan. But because I definitely well, did those on the Wii U version. So maybe it was huh. maybe not DLC for the West. Maybe, maybe just the Area of Aspiration was the only thing that was released in the wii u it doesn't matter i'm pretty sure <laughs> the that's point cool. is the point is it's here yes yeah ultimately i'm disappointed about the story so far uh but that combat is so good that it may not even matter um a lot of the time with these games it is the story that takes me through though so uh jury's still out on that one but the combat is just so much fun um and i, th- I think the game knows this and sort of gets it, it gets you into the rhythm of that quicker than most jrpgs and certainly quicker than than persona does as much as i love it yeah so just that that's my my too long didn't read disappointed in story but the combat is is, is so good uh, andrew yeah like you I, i'm disappointed the story isn't really willing to grapple with the issues that it it portrays it's just showing them as is as though they're awesome and beyond exploration or criticism uh and the, the, some of the story sequence like andy it sounds like you haven't gotten to the side stories yet um but i wish i could spend more time in the dungeons versus in the story because the dungeons are great i, I i've been critical in the past of dungeons and jrpgs where they're basically just straight shots uh with not a lot to do in them not a lot to explore there, there are puzzles to solve there are things to explore these are great dungeons i like them and the combat I love the combat in this game and that's totally what's keeping me with it and I fully expect to keep me with it into February. I I, I think I'll have the game done before the end of February because I enjoy this game and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, battle. It's addictive. Uh, usually JRPGs, I'm avoiding battles, but in this game, 
I'm going out of my way and just drawing out dungeons for way too long because I really, <laughs> really like the combat. Uh, I just wish there were more opportunities to, to use the combat, as uh, Andrew said, just either more dungeons or just more content and more areas, really. Because later in the game, it does kind of backtrack to dungeons that you've already done. Mm. Different, more variety would have just been so much better for this game rather than just the one semi, semi-dungeon semi but yeah, don't get it for the story, get it for the combat. <laughs> Actually, just one last thing. Um, I don't know if you two are going to tell me off this, but I'm kind of disappointed in the music as well. Uh, I can understand that. I'm going to fall back to the same thing I said. I'm looking at this from a Western US viewpoint. This music is not for me, but mm-hmm. I, I was reading some of the lyrics. I was like, really? That's, that's your lyrics? It's like, wow, that is some middle school poetry there but anyway <laughs> it's as superficial as the rest of the game yeah yeah it, it's it's pop music i mean there's like, it's one fine. song uh mm-hmm. one of the duo arts with uh eleonora and subasa and it sounds exactly like it's something from splatoon <laughs> they even, oh, wow. they're even dressed green and pink it's it can't be a coincidence <laughs> i'm looking forward to that <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I just, again, it's one of those things where Persona spoiled me because those soundtracks are ridiculously good and this is just very, like, it's not bad, it's just... It's okay. It's pop music. I mean, it's pop music. What do you expect? (laughs) Yeah. It's fair. But yeah, uh, so that's uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, I'm sure Andrew will update us when he, he beats it, which I imagine will be fairly soon and... Uh, I'll keep you posted as I as I'm going through. Um, I'm just having this flashback to when we first started the podcast, and we had we had a question from a reader about like, hey, what do you want to see more of on the Switch? Uh, and I said JRPGs, and I regret that because <laughs> I've started so many in the last twelve months and have finished none of them, <laughs> and I do, I really don't want this to be another one. Um, I've been having a good time myself, but <laughs> yeah. So Not part, to toot part my, my own horn there. <laughs> part, part of my uh, resolution. Uh, this year is going to be to play some shorter games and, and beat them. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Okay, Andrew, what are you playing in the coming week? Uh, Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition is the finally completed version of Kentucky Route Zero, a episodic narrative game that's been released very slowly over the past few years it's launching on switch next week and i'm going to take a look at that and also i'm going to look at both of the games in the guacamelee one two punch collection nice i I played the first one on uh, vita and i loved the hell out of that yeah i've already finished the first one (laughs) it was pretty good Ah, (laughs) cool well we'll look forward to hearing your thoughts on that next week uh Stu, what are you playing at the moment doesn't have to be on on switch you uh treacherous guest (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually playing uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Ah, nice. Going through a second story playthrough. Ah, nice. Who did you start with? Time for the DLC. Who did you start with? Uh, I did Golden Deer. I Golden Deer. Golden Deer. Um, that's what I'm doing now. I started ah. off with um, oh, I can't remember the Edelgard. The Black Eagles. Her story, Black Eagles. But I accidentally like went the church route in the second part, ah. so I have to do that one again. Actually. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, I noticed in Adelaide there's a coffee shop called. Uh, black eagles and i'm like i'm not going in there <laughs> <laughs> not without a question i know uh so yeah sorry andrew inside joke for those that have played it um huh? <laughs> we please uh, limit the humor to things i know what you're talking about and <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Okay, before we do the uh, admin stuff, uh, Stu, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Stu2, S-T-W-T-O-O, and that's about it. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. And you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with our lively Switch Focus community and follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links can be found in our show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee and details are on our website. This episode was edited by Craig Windle and you can follow him at Craigity Craig and follow his professional music career at windmills at dawn. And you can follow us individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast and I am at Play Critically.
The end. Oh.